we're going to come round to the Word of God now. Zoe is going to be preaching to us today. So if you've got a Bible with you, if you turn with me to the book of Luke, we're in chapter 10 today, and we're going to be beginning at verse 25. And this is what it says. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law, he replied. Have you read it? How, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jericho to Jerusalem when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, who he came to that place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day... He took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have had. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Let's pray, and then I'm going to invite Zoe up, who's going to bring us the word this morning. Father God, we want to thank you and praise you for your words. We thank you for the challenge that there is in Scripture. We thank you that as we read it, in turn reads us, Lord, that you highlight those areas of our life where you're calling us to change, where you're calling us to walk with you, where you're challenging us to step out in faith. And as Zoe brings us the word today, we pray exactly that, that in the midst of it, we will hear your voice speaking to us and encouraging us to live as you call us to live. Be with us today, we pray. Bless Zoe as she speaks. Give us ears to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Zoe, over to you. Well, good morning. I am excited to share this morning because I believe already that God is speaking. In that time of worship and that challenge that Luke just brought there again, as we sang that song to invite God again to remove any barriers in our lives for us to worship him and give him glory. And this morning, that is really what I want to share about. We're going to focus on us um, coming to God again and asking what barriers might be in our life that stop us from loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and explore together that command to love our neighbour. But it's also been good, hasn't it, to be going through the Gospel of Luke. There's something about going through a Gospel that helps us to marvel at who Jesus is, at what he came to do, and what he's still in the business of doing today. 
It's something about looking at the Gospels again that raises our faith and expectation about who Jesus is and what he does. And it's like the Holy Spirit says to us again, listen, I'm still in the business of setting captives free. And today God sends us out to be part of that mission. And that's what I want us to explore, how God is sending us to be part of his mission. If we ever feel a little bit lost, it's good to come back to the person of Jesus. And I'm going to dive into Luke chapter 10 this morning and build where Luke left off last week as we explored Luke chapter 9 and this idea of building a framework of biblical evangelism. Looking at the life of Jesus, the very man of Jesus, for us to understand what evangelism is all about. Luke unpacked six ways the disciples often made a mistake in exploring the mission of God. And one of them I was quite challenged by myself last week was often sometimes we have a lack of compassion. And this morning's sermon has come out of a personal prayer that I prayed. Lord, fill me with a love for you and a love for others. Fill me with your compassion for others, I pray. We saw Jesus send out the 12 disciples with his authority And today in the wider chapter of Luke chapter 10, we see this kind of call extended to the disciples, 72 disciples, to be sent out in Jesus' name. We know what's coming in the weeks to come where Jesus widens that command to the Great Commission and sends us all out to go into the whole world. And we saw Jesus' model, and we see again today how we are to approach mission which should therefore be our approach, and it's always engagement, and it's always relationship, and it's an attitude of service to others. We commented last week, didn't we, how this looks different to events. Maybe it's to do with us living with our neighbour. We're going to unpack the story of the Good Samaritan. And as we do, this, this parable for us is very familiar And my prayer is that we would come again to explore how we are to love the stranger amongst us. In this pandemic season that we're in, that is hard and relentless. It's nearly been a year since we haven't gathered solely together in this building as a church. My prayer and attention is asking the Lord this question. What are you teaching us? What are you teaching me? What are you teaching us as a whole church? How are you preparing us? as we re-emerge into this next season, with the boldness of praying, Lord, as hard as this is, don't let us come out of this time until you're done forming us, until you're done moulding and shaping us for what's next. And the question we're asking this morning is a personal one. What does a life of mission, of care, of compassion and service both look like to the church and to the world who is in a state right now of loss and longing. Luke's unpacked for us and read for us already the parable of the Good Samaritan. And as we look at it together, I want us to ask three simple questions. Firstly, why? Then what? And then how? Why this parable? What is Jesus getting at? What stops us? What are the barriers in place that stop us from loving the Lord our God with everything within us? And then finally, how can we love the stranger? But as we look at this parable, my prayer is that we wouldn't, familiarity wouldn't breed contempt. That we look at it again and ask today, in this context, in this season, 
What is the Holy Spirit saying to us? And the thing about parables is that someone once told me that they are way more misunderstood than we realised. We need, like all genre of scripture, to handle them with great care. So the first thing we're going to do is think about what is a parable and why did Jesus speak in that way for us to hear and listen to the meaning. But parables are way much more than just a simple story used to illustrate a moral or a spiritual lesson. They're way more than that. They always demand a response. The primary focus is not to illustrate, but to call forth a response from those that are hearing it. Parables are like a joke. A joke sometimes has a punchline, and the joke doesn't work if you don't get the punchline. If you don't get the punchline, then they're not humorous. If you have to explain a joke, then it hasn't worked, and they often lose their appeal. And also, parables pack a punch. If we reduce them to a mere story of morality or or simple lesson, then we probably reduce them to something that Jesus wasn't meaning. And the parable, a parable that's first heard by the first hearer or audience of the day would have had familiar reference points in them. But often those familiar reference points would have had a twist or a shock to the first listeners. But today when we hear them, we're far too familiar with them. The shock isn't shocking and the familiar points of reference aren't familiar to us. So there is something required of us to dig a little deeper. And parables, too, are a vehicle used to proclaim the kingdom of God. So we should always ask the question, what is Jesus trying to teach us about the kingdom of God? And this parable that Jesus told that we're going to look at this morning comes in response of a question from the lawyer. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And that's another question that's asked of Jesus also in the Gospels by the rich young ruler who says, I followed all the laws, am I in? And Jesus says, go and sell all your possessions and then come and follow me. And here again, it's the topic of conversation, almost in a manner, what is the least requirement of me to get into eternal life? But Jesus responds in a classic Jesus way with another question. He says, what have you read in the law? Almost how do you read it? And the expert of the law correctly quotes two parts of the Old Testament. First is from Deuteronomy chapter 6, known as the Shema, that the Jews would recite daily in response to as a nation calling them to love the Lord their God with everything within them. And the second half of the commandment comes from Leviticus chapter 19, where the command to love the foreigner living among them is found. So that command to love others as yourself we find too. And as the parable unfolds, the lawyer wants to justify not only his question and his reason for asking it, but himself and his actions. And Jesus asks, and he asks Jesus rather, who is my neighbour? And we know the punchline in this parable to be Jesus uh, choosing the one to be compassionate as the Samaritan. And the lawyer can't even bring himself to say the name Samaritan when Jesus concludes by asking him, which of these three was a neighbor to the one who fell into the hands of the robbers? The response was, the one who showed mercy. 
The expectations in this account, as we know, are that the priest, it would be the priest or the Levite who would be the one to help the wounded traveler. But the Samaritan, who was classed as a non-neighbor of the day, day, was the one who showed compassion. And this was shocking. This was uncomfortable for those who were hearing it. Because we know that to call someone a Samaritan was an insult, as the Jews themselves called or asked Jesus if he was a demon-possessed Samaritan in John chapter 8. So what's the punchline this morning? It's the non-neighbor, the one who was, wasn't even classed as someone worthy of knowing God, was the one who the kingdom of God was revealed through in his compassionate response to the wounded traveler on the road. The invitation of the kingdom of God is extended to everyone. And the other cultural factor that we don't quite get, or we don't quite appreciate not being the first hearers of the day, is the reputation of this treacherous road from Jericho to Jerusalem. It's the site of the incident. And this road was known for for robbers, for beatings, and we learn that this is the place where the man was beaten and stripped and robbed and found in great need. But the way the Samaritan helped showed great love and compassion. It wasn't just a half-hearted, are you okay? I should stop, really, shouldn't I? But I don't really want to. It was a lavish display of affection that was costly and that disrupted him. And I first, this morning, want us to ask this question, why? Why this parable? Why was this Jesus' response? Why is this punchline? What is Jesus getting at here? What does this teach us about the kingdom of God? Is this parable solely calling us to be a Samaritan, to show others in need, or is Jesus evoking a deeper response here today? And here in the parables, we understand the why, we also understand the why for mission for us today. They say, don't they, in the world of leadership, if you're trying to communicate change or vision, then you have to help people understand the why. And here, this is what Jesus is doing for us today. I've heard it brilliantly communicated that for us to understand the why, we have to ask a different question. And the question we have to ask is, who are we in this story? Whose shoes are we walking in? And from there, we understand the why. We are the beaten up robber on the side of the road, in great need of help and mercy. Without Christ's intervention, we would be half dead, left on the side of the road. We have wounds ourselves that we can't heal, and wounds that require someone else's wounds to heal us. We are fragile, and we are fully dependent on our Saviour. Therefore, this morning, Jesus is the Samaritan who lavishly and outrageously pays the cost for our fallenness. We read in the parable that Samaritan paid for the recuperation and the lavishness of this gesture. And this sets a scene for us that is almost so unrealistic that this gesture must be what Christ can achieve. The question asked of Jesus is, who is my neighbour? But the question Jesus is asking us instead is, do we act like a neighbour? Do we understand who was the first neighbour? 
Are we aware of who we are in the story, the why of mission, that we are being sent out to others because Jesus was sent to find us, to reach us in the first place, to be compassionate, and Jesus reaches out to us. He lavishly gave his life for us so that we can live. And out of our love for him, we are to extend that invitation of love and grace to others. The end point in the parable is quite significant. Go and do likewise. We are to be moved to act. And that comes from our newfound understanding of the why, that Jesus was first sent to reach for us. If the first character we go to in this story is the Samaritan, then our mission becomes social action. The mission is all about us, about us, about what we do, about our gestures for others to see. And our compassion for others will dry up. The emphasis will become all about us, all about our works, all about our efforts and not the grace of Jesus. We first need to understand how Jesus saved us, pursued us, and then we are to reach others with the same invitation extended to us. The second question I want us to ask today, then, is in light of that, what stops us from doing that? What is the command here, and what are the obstacles or barriers in the way? We've seen the punch. We know the surprising twist that provokes us to be in the story and Jesus to be the Samaritan. But what is the response that Jesus is requiring from us? I think all of us this morning can relate to the lawyer his attempt to justify himself and his actions. We see in his approach that he's kind of hopeful that Jesus would agree with him, that what he's doing is right, and the way he's living is the way he should, and he's doing all that God requires of him, and that he can skip over the cost of discipleship and gain eternal life anyway. But Jesus is challenging here that that's not the way it works. So how do we justify ourselves today, I want to ask. And I want us to look again at that command that the lawyer got right. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love others as yourself. There are two elements to that command, and we've understood already where those two elements come from in the Old Testament. And I think if we're really honest, we try and justify those two parts of the commands in two different ways. The first one is when we relate to love the Lord your God with everything. We kind of think of it conditionally like the lawyer did. And the two words, if only, come to mind. I've touched on already how we're in this kind of state at the moment of loss and longing. And as a church, there's going to be a greater opportunity for mission that comes out of result of this pandemic, where we offer a genuine hope to those who are grieving. And recently, I've read a book called If Only, Finding Contentment in the Face of Lack and Longing. And it's a cat-cared recommendation. And if you don't know what I mean by a cat-cared recommendation, then you need to get to know Cat. She has a love for the scripture and a love for the gospel and a way for building others up in their love for Jesus. So do um, ask her for many a recommendation. But the premise of this book is that we are all living with an if only. So let me ask you this morning, what are you longing for when it comes to faith and contentment? 
Perhaps your if only is if you're single and you're longing to be married. Perhaps you're longing for children or you're longing for a new role. You're longing to be used by God or you're just longing for this pandemic to be over. And these desires in themselves aren't bad, but if they become barriers to us loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength, then here is our challenge this morning. The lawyer is basically saying, I will love you, Lord, if it doesn't cost me greatly. And when this is our mindset, when, th- when we place conditions on our love for God, then that's not true love. We view God as like a vending machine, the one who's going to, who, when he gives us what we want, that's when we'll love him fully. And, and we justify our longings and our wanting. And we justify that when those if-onlys are sometimes reached, then that's when we'll praise him. And we need to grapple with the fact today that God is enough for us now. God is enough for us in this present hard season. Otherwise, we will always find ourselves wanting. There might be days where I find myself saying, Lord, I want a husband, but then I justify it with the fact that I say, I bargain with God and I say, it's just so we can do ministry together. And God's response is, in this season, am I not enough for you? And have I not given you all the means to serve me now? Or in this last six months of trying to buy a flat, I pray, Lord, I want a flat of my own. I want a space of my own. And I justify it. So I say, so I can be hospitable. And the response I get is, am I good? Am I worth it? What does loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength look like today? In a pandemic season, when we're all longing for something, when we all have an if only. And the second challenge that comes from this this morning, we can find ourselves wrestling in and justifying, is the second half of this command. To love others as yourself, to love the stranger and to love the neighbour. And this time, I think the condition we place on this, our desire to justify ourselves, is not if only, it's only if. Lord, I will show compassion and kindness to others only if they're like me. Only if they're not too needy. Come on, Lord, I've got my own family to care for. I've got my own friends to maintain relationships with. Are you really calling me to befriend the neighbour? to care about the last, the least, and the lost. Because we as Christians, we love fellowship with like-minded people, don't we? We have missed this terribly in this season. We've never felt so isolated from other believers. But befriending other people, making relationship with people who don't share our views, our class, our backgrounds, or our ideas, that's a completely different story. I'll serve you, Lord, only if it's once a month on a rotor. I'll serve you, Lord, only if it's in the main service of the church. What is our only if? Our conditions that sometimes, with the greatest of intentions, we place on our love for other people. Both the priest and the Levite don't respond. It was out of their only if reach of conditions. 
But the Samaritan loves without conditions, and Christ loves us unconditionally. What does going and doing likewise look like? What does this require of us? It requires God to do a work in us, for him to be enough for us today, for us to grow in our love for Christ and the confidence in the gospel. Finally, I want us to ask how. I want us to ponder practicalities of what Jesus is talking about here, how we are supposed to respond in light of our understanding of what Christ has done for us, and how God sends us out to be part of his mission in the world around us. And I want to suggest one way, it's not the only way, but one way that we can do this. And this morning I want to touch on the theme of hospitality. And you might think I'm ludicrous to talk about hospitality in a season where it is genuinely illegal to have other people in our homes. But again, I want us to return to that thought or question I started with at the beginning. In this season, Lord, how are you preparing us as individuals and your church for what comes next? And I've been fundamentally challenged by another book that I've read called The Gospel Comes with a House Key, practicing radical, ordinary hospitality in a post-Christian world which is a biography all about a lady who uses her home and their family home as the place for mission. And the principle behind the book is simple. She defines radical, ordinary hospitality as a way that Christians use their homes, use their daily lives in a way that seeks to make the stranger a neighbour and the neighbour part of the family of God. So using our homes as a way where we can invite the strangers to become our neighbours and for neighbours to become part of the family of God. How do strangers become neighbours? How do neighbours become part of the family of God? One way is opening up our homes and opening up our lives and inviting people in. The book is all about their family's life based around the table Stories where they've seen neighbours, some being meth addicts, come to be embraced in their family life and as a result found Jesus. And how can hospitality be radical? It's when we ignore the social norms around us and we genuinely embrace anyone. It's when we take away that only if label. They're not like me, but I'm going to love them anyway. And invite people into every aspect of our lives and model what a relationship, an authentic relationship with Christ looks like. Again, another way of describing this is hospitality being a place where we take the hand of a stranger and introduce it to the hand of the saviour. What is hospitality? The Greek word for hospitality is philexenia approximately translating as love for the stranger. Therefore, we're not talking this morning about hosting family and friends in our homes, although this is needed, although this is going to be so needed and embraced when we're able to do so. But there's a challenge here about opening up our homes and opening up our lives in a way that embraces the love of the stranger, our neighbours who don't know Jesus yet. My message this morning is not saying, come on church, let's focus solely on people who don't know Jesus, the mission outside of this building. But nor am I saying, let's 
build up the church to be able to reach a community. We've gleaned together that the mission of God is simple. Love the Lord your God and love others. Mission and pastoral care go together. We can't separate them because each of us need to be embraced and each of us need to embody Christ for one another. We are to be a community. But how do we love the stranger? How do we love the neighbour? Then we let them in to our lives. From my experience, hospitality can bring great healing. And I don't know if you're like me, though, this morning. You're beginning to get a little bit anxious about the thought of returning to normality, whatever that's going to be. Yes, I'm longing to see my family again, and my heart's desire is at some point this year to sit in the care home with my dad again. But there's other parts of me that is becoming quite familiar and quite safe within living within the restrictions that we have. And the thought of opening up my life or opening up my home or opening up my week to others around me is scary. But two and a half years ago, my experience has helped me greatly. I, I moved, I graduated from SWIM and I moved to serve Honiton Family Church as their youth and children's pastor. And I was new and I was fragile. And there were a few families in the church that fully embraced me and were incredibly hospitable. Their hospitality never stopped. It went far beyond uh, an initial invitation to check out the new girl. And it's still there today. When I moved to serve the church here, I thanked the church that sent me for the season of mending that I had with them. And I expressed to them how I was healed by their hospitality. It was the first time I'd moved away from home and I was struggling with great anxiety coming to terms with what had been an incredibly stressful and time of great pain for us as a family. I was serving two churches, I was studying a degree, I was running a family dairy farm, and we were working through the news of our dad being diagnosed with Alzheimer's in his early 50s. But God used people, he used their kindness, he used their homes to demonstrate to me his love, his faithfulness, and through that, he helped me grow in confidence for what he was calling me to next. Would we, this morning, church, let our homes be safe places and havens where God can meet with his people And he uses us to demonstrate his physical nature and his presence to others. If I needed hospitality, if I needed healing after a season of great struggle, then how much more are those of us today in need of Christ-centered hospitality, especially if they don't know Jesus for themselves? Hospitality makes a statement of the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of God looks like, about who the kingdom of God is for. The kingdom is for those on the outside. That's what's been demonstrated to us today. How do we know that? Because that's what Jesus modelled. Not only does the gospel come with a house key, but the other thing I want us to grapple this morning is that God never gets the address wrong. You are where you are, doing what you are for a reason. And the invitation to us this morning is clear. I've said it before. Do what you can where you are with what you've got. Do what you can in the way of loving the stranger, in way of embracing your neighbour with what you've got. Maybe that's your home. Maybe that's your ability to go on a walk with someone, to genuinely listen, care and ask questions. Or maybe that's a way of making meals and sending them to others. Whatever you can to be a blessing to others where God has placed you. 
What do I want you to hear this morning? Jesus is our example for mission. The call on our lives is simple and it's unconditional. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. God is sending us out because Jesus was sent to find us. He was the one who reached us first. He was the one who lavishly demonstrates his love for us that came at a great cost. But we need God to do a work in us. We need a heart change. Now is the time, church, to be wrestling with the question, Lord, how are you preparing us for what comes next? But what do I want you to do this morning? Parables provoke a response. We are to respond again in a position of surrender. And I don't know what surrender looks like for you this morning, but it might be surrendering your if-only moment. Declaring that God is enough for you now. Giving him the desires of your heart, all your need, all your insecurity, and declaring again that he is enough, he is worth it, and he is good. Or it might be surrendering your comfort, your home, your time. Hospitality is inconvenient. And saying to God this morning, in a future and a landscape that looks uncertain, I'm in. I'm in for being used by you. Whatever that looks like, I give you my time, my home, my capacity to love others. And I pray this morning you would grow that in me, Lord. That's a bold prayer to pray. Or your response this morning might be a practical one if you're practical like me and you've got lists on your phone or lists in many, many notebooks. And my challenge to you this morning is you would spend some time praying and writing a list, maybe now in your homes as we respond, about people that you are longing to have in your gardens or your homes when restrictions allow. Yes, maybe write people that you long to spend time with, but then write three others of people in the church, of people in this season that it's been extra hard for, families who don't have friends or family local, who are dreading the time when restrictions allow, and we'll see all over social media happy people being reunited. Who is lonely this morning? Embrace them in your family. Or maybe write a list of three people, friends, neighbours or colleagues who don't know Jesus yet, but ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you how and when the right time is to get alongside them. Pray about it, be intentional and see what God does. Why church? Because I've been praying for us as a church earnestly that the Lord would give us a desire to respond well as we come out of this season, that he would prepare us now for what's coming next. And a few weekends ago, it's walking around Central Park, praying and asking Jesus that question, how, Lord, how do you want us to respond well? And the words I felt God say were this, let hope become a hospital and our homes become the triage unit. Let hope become a hospital and our homes become the triage unit. What do I mean by that? Let our homes become the place where we genuinely embrace others, assess their needs, hear them come to us, and then build a bridge and create a place and a connection point to be the church. Let our homes become, sorry, let hope become a hospital and our homes become the triage unit. 
let our homes be a bridge between the church and our community. Because that's our vision, isn't it? We want people to belong. We want people to believe. We want people to find a place to serve Jesus. We want an impact to be made, and we want others. We want the multiplication to know and come to know Jesus for themselves. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And as we begin to respond in a position of surrender, I'd love to pray for us and then for us to think about how God might be asking us to respond today. Let me pray. Father, this morning we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your extravagant love for us. Lord, we thank you that Jesus, you came from heaven to find us and we are so grateful for your saving grace. Do a work in us, I pray today. Use us, prepare us now for the season that lies ahead. We declare again that you are good, Lord. You are enough. We put our trust in you again. Send us out, Lord, in the knowledge of who you are. We're not the saviour, you are. Help us point people to you, I pray. And would we be bold enough to use our homes as places where strangers become neighbours and neighbours become part of the family of God. Lord, as we sing, all to Jesus I surrender, all to you I freely give. Would you be speaking to us in our homes today and would hope become a hospital and our hearts, our homes become the triage unit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.